Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, December 17th. I am Aranza Loisaga, and these are today's headlines. As the House holds one final hearing before Wednesday's critical floor-wide vote, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell rejecting calls for witnesses' testimony during the Senate trial. The president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, makes a stunning admission, saying he needed former U.S. ambassador, quote, out of the way because she was hampering efforts to investigate Joe Biden. Plus, the surprising numbers on just how many asylum seekers forced to remain in Mexico under the Trump administration's new policy are actually receiving that asylum. This and much more today on U News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with the next steps towards tomorrow's historic vote. The House Rules Committee holds a final impeachment hearing to set the parameters for a floor debate on the articles of impeachment. Tomorrow, the full House is set to vote on the articles. If the House impeaches President Trump, the Senate will hold trial to consider if he should be removed from office, making Trump only the third president in the U.S. history to be impeached. Lorraine Cáceres has all the details on the embattled process. President Trump could be impeached tomorrow and Democrats in the House today are debating how exactly the day will carry out, planning a long debate before lawmakers can cast their votes. With impeachment expected to pass, Democrats from Trump districts are facing the backlash. Vice President Mike Pence hitting the key election territory of Iowa, urging Democrats like Cindy Axney to reject articles of impeachment. I mean, the fact is that uh, the Congresswoman Axney uh, was just elected a little more than a year ago. She promised that she would work in a bipartisan manner with this administration. And yet here we have this partisan impeachment moving forward uh, on the, this, after a sham investigation. I just think the people of her district deserve, uh, deserve better. This as Democrats in the Senate are doubling down on their efforts to have key witnesses testify. Can we live up to Hamilton's fine words with dignity, independence, confidence to preserve the necessary impartiality to conduct a fair trial? That question should weigh heavily upon every single senator. But Republicans say it's not the Senate's job to do the fact-finding. If House Democrats' case is this deficient, this thin, the answer is not for the judge and jury to cure it over here in the Senate. The answer is the House should not impeach on this basis in the first place. Schumer not giving up the fight so easily, targeting four key Republicans that are either moderate or retiring for support. Among them, Mitt Romney, a vocal critic of the president. The House Rules Committee has said that members of the House will be allowed time to address their concerns. Tomorrow's debate is expected to go on for many hours before ending with the vote on articles. Back to you, Aranza. Lorraine, thank you very much for this information. Meanwhile, President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, is making a stunning new admission about the Ukraine controversy. Giuliani speaking to The New Yorker has given the clearest admission yet 
that he needed former U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch removed from her position because she was hurting his investigation into the Biden family. Giuliani said, quote, I believe that I needed Yovanovitch out of the way. She was going to make the investigations difficult for everybody. And now Giuliani's recent fact-finding mission to Ukraine is coming under intense scrutiny by an anti-corruption group there. Rudy Giuliani's continued efforts to dig up dirt on the Bidens in Ukraine are disgusting some anti-corruption groups in that country. It's not search for truth. It's actually uh, continued spreading disinformation in the best tradition of, uh, of, of Kremlin. And it's music to the ears of Putin-controlled TV in Russia who are eager to paint themselves as innocent. Despite the U.S. intelligence community's conclusion about Russian election interference in 2016. It turns out the State Department is wired to remove Trump's power and to stop the case of corrupt Biden from being investigated, as Giuliani says. Giuliani, who spoke with Trump last week after returning from a supposed fact-finding mission to Ukraine and other Eastern European countries, tweeted this weekend a string of clips from pro-Trump right-wing media outlet OAN claiming to lay out his findings. Money laundering statute. Which he says proved fraud by the energy company Rurisma, which employed Joe Biden's son Hunter, and alleges that the then Vice President Joe Biden had the Ukrainian Prosecutor General investigating the case Viktor Shulkin fired. He will testify that he was investigating Biden's son. He will show you the documents to prove he was investigating Biden's son. There is no evidence that Biden did anything wrong, and Giuliani is also refusing to acknowledge the clamor by European and American leaders alike at the time for Shulkin to be fired due to his alleged corruption. Ukraine's main anti-corruption action group ANTAC, which has also been in Giuliani's crosshairs, tells CNN there was broad consensus that Shulkin wasn't effective and provided them with documents apparently showing that he actually hindered large parts of the investigation into Burisma. Under his leadership, prosecution is not reforming and actually he is blocking the attempts to do the reforms and to perform proper investigations. Antak says the same goes for Ukraine's next prosecutor general, Yuri Lutsenko, another one of Rudolf Giuliani's proclaimed witnesses. Giuliani continues surrounding him with the most notorious corrupt um, people in Ukraine with bad reputation who are helping to feed uh, this disinformation. And Kremlin-controlled media is clearly gobbling up the message, portraying America as weak and Ukraine in disarray, but President Trump as the winner. Federal lawmakers want to raise the national smoking age to match the drinking age. A group of top senators agreeing to shift federal tobacco sales age from 18 to 21. That includes e-cigarettes and other vaping devices. A number of states have already raised the tobacco sales age to 21 by state law. The change will be part of a sweeping year-end spending agreement that will be released later Monday. The House is expected to vote on the spending agreement today. The Senate would then need to pass it by Friday to dodge a partial government shutdown. With bipartisan support, the bill appears likely to pass. The Supreme Court making a major ruling when it comes to the plight of the homelessness. 
The court had been asked to hear a case centering around homeless people sleeping on public sidewalks and parks in Boise, Idaho, many of them subject to ticketing by police. The high court choosing to let stand a lower court opinion that had struck down the law that allowed those tickets to be issued. The Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals blocked the law as a violation of the Constitution's Eighth Amendment bar on cruel and unusual punishment. But the city had argued the ordinance was needed to make sure the areas remain safe, accessible and sanitary. The Supreme Court verdict could impact cities and towns across the U.S. that have similar laws. And the open enrollment period for Obamacare has been extended. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services say the deadline is now December 18th. That's this coming Wednesday. The move comes after weeks of low enrollment reports for 2020 Obamacare plans. Some people also had issues during the final hours of open enrollment, which was originally on Sunday. In 2017, the Trump administration slashed the budget for Obamacare advertising by 90 percent. Former President Obama then getting involved in pushing people to sign up. President Donald Trump, the first modern president to face impeachment during this first term, is in the White House, now leads his top Democratic rivals in his bid for a second term. This is according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. The national survey taken as the House of Representatives planned an impeachment vote and the Senate a trial showed Trump defeating former Vice President Joe Biden by three percentage points, Senator Bernie Sanders by five points and Senator Elizabeth Warren by eight points. The poll of 1,000 registered voters taken on December 10th well, this was taken by landline and cell phones, has a margin of error of plus or minus three percentage points. Meanwhile, Senator Elizabeth Warren using new notable language about health care at her town halls. For the last two weeks, Warren has described the transition into her Medicare for All plan as a choice for Americans to try. So here's what she had to say during an event in Iowa on Monday. We're going to open up full health care coverage to everybody. It'll be free for 135 million Americans, everybody under 18, family of four with income below $50,000. You don't have to take it, but it's available to you if you want it. The choice is yours. So that is a notable rhetoric shift on Warren's part. Her moderate Democratic rivals, mainly South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, have criticized her plan that would eventually eliminate private health insurance. And Senator Warren also saying on Monday that women who have signed non-disclosure agreements at the company run by Michael Bloomberg should be allowed to tell their stories, specifically if those women want to speak publicly about past allegations that Bloomberg fostered a hostile work environment for women. Warren called on Bloomberg to release women from non-disclosure agreements less than 24 hours after ABC News reported on several lawsuits that accused Bloomberg of making crude remarks in the 1990s and creating an uncomfortable environment for women to work. Allegations Bloomberg has denied. 
And Puerto Rico Governor Wanda Vasquez announced Monday that she will run for election to a full term in 2020. The announcement ends weeks of speculation about the political plans of Vasquez, who in August became the island's second unelected governor in seven decades following one of its most turbulent political periods. Vasquez also became the U.S. territory's second female governor after millions of Puerto Ricans marched in historic protests, calling for the ouster of Ricardo Rosselló as governor after someone leaked hundreds of profanity-laced and derogatory private messages between him and administration officials. And at least three people have died and a dozen more are injured after severe storms brought a swarm of tornadoes to the southeast. Louisiana, Alabama and Mississippi were all hit hard with at least 27 preliminary reports of tornadoes. In total, it's not clear how many twisters touched down, but the National Weather Service tweeted more than 240 tornado warnings in the region over the course of about 21 hours. Now that same storm system bringing ice, snow and freezing rain to the northeast, and that's why we have meteorologist Albert Martinez, who is tracking that storm. So, Albert, what's the latest? Uh, let's take a look at the map, Saranza, and let's see where we have right now the tornado watch area. And here there is uh, North Florida, the Panhandle area between Panama City and Lake City is where we have the most active storm right now. Also in South Georgia, where we saw a couple of tornado warnings during the last uh, two to five hours. During the last hours, we saw some uh, strong storms uh, over South Georgia. Some of them produce uh, big uh, hell mm -hmm. up to one to two, up one to one and a half inches. Uh, so it's a big, big ball, big ball of yeah. hell, and also. Um, gusty winds up to 60 miles per hour and isolated tornadoes. This front will continue to move to the east so that's why North Florida, South Georgia and also the coast of both Carolinas will be under this severe, severe uh, weather threat during the next uh, 12 hours during the end until the end of the day. So what we can expect during the next hours because we will have these tornadoes one of the things that we can do is uh, figure out where we can hide at home and uh, look for that room, that area, farther from the outdoors. Okay, so we need far away from windows and exactly. doors as well. Okay, exactly. so that would be what, like a closet or a bathroom or perfect. Yeah. Okay. That that bathroom that it's away from the windows or also if we have a. Uh, basement can be the perfect place to be during a tornado warning mm -hmm. and it's important to keep the cell phone on during the severe weather event because we will get the message from the National Weather Service. And so once the person gets the tornado warning in mm -hmm. their cell phone, how much time do they have before the tornado gets into the area? Uh, between 5 and 10 minutes. 5 and 10 minutes. So that's, that's why it's so important to figure out where we can hide during the tornado. Wonderful. And so now now we know that we have the snow mm -hmm. and of course the freezing rain and the gusty winds moving in the northeast of our country. What can we expect? Uh, more snow during the next 12 hours. We can look at the radar. During the morning we saw uh, some sleet in New York City. Mm -hmm. This is my bigger concern in New York and also in Boston during the overnight hours. Mm -hmm. That the sleet and the snow that fall during uh, 
now, I mean during these hours and during the afternoon, can become uh, ice, so it okay. can refreeze during overnight with the freezing temperatures. Uh -huh. We will see up to four inches of snow during the next 24 hours and between a quarter and a half inches of ice. Oh, wow. So bridges and overpasses can, will be freezing overnight mm -hmm. and we need to be very careful. Of course we will and we'll keep you updated here in U News. Alfred, thank you so much for this information. We'll see you later. A pleasure. Awesome. The Trump administration's Remain in Mexico policy began almost a year ago. And while on paper the policy's intent is simply to have people seeking asylum in the U.S. wait in Mexico until their application is resolved, as Juan Carlos Gonzalez reports, the asylum approval rate over the past year may tell a very different story. A lot of asylum seekers continue waiting in Mexico, hoping that their applications get approved by the U.S. government. But according to recent statistics, only 0.1% of them are approved. According to this immigration attorney, the main problem is the lack of legal representation. So what we're seeing is that people are having difficulty uh, being able to reach out to uh, be able to get representation from an attorney, right? That's one of the difficulties. Even attorneys have, uh, have issues. If they don't have an attorney, it's very hard to present a good case. Another problem is to obtain the documents they need. Uh, people are being isolated in these areas of Mexico because they don't have money. They're unable to get the resources to be able to contact their family members in their country to be able to have whatever evidence that they could get to be sent to them. She explains that it's very hard for these people to keep up with their appointments. According to Syracuse University, between September 2018 and September 2019, 47,000 applications were presented. 10,000 had completed their cases. 5,018 cases were denied. 4,471 cases were dismissed without a decision being made. And only 11 cases were approved. It's unconscionable that the U.S. government has implemented a program that specifically denies asylum seekers the opportunities to seek asylum in the United States under MPP. The fact that only 11 people out of over 47,000 have been permitted to uh, continue with their cases demonstrates the real intention of the Return to Mexico program, MPP, was to deny them access. He adds that it seems it's working, affecting the people who are legally looking for asylum. Many of them have decided that they will return to their home country, which places them at even greater danger because it's for those dangers that they left their country to begin with. According to this attorney, as long as this administration continues, they don't have any hope that the situation will get better for the asylum seekers. In Los Angeles, Juan Carlos Gonzalez, Unions. Uber scoring a labor victory in California. For now, the rideshare service has beaten back a bid to immediately classify all of its drivers in California as employees instead of independent contractors. But a judge's ruling leaves open the possibility that the long-running fight could come up again next year when a new law takes effect in California requiring Uber, Lyft, Instacart and other app-based companies to pay all of their employees minimum wage and provide them with benefits like health insurance and paid sick days. 
scary moments for passengers on board of a United Airlines flight from San Diego. Flames shooting from a plane's, plane's engine forced an emergency landing Monday for that flight. A passenger recorded footage of the frightening incident. United said in a statement that the Chicago-bound flight diverted to New Mexico and landed safely in Albuquerque. According to the airline, flight 366 had experienced a mechanical issue with one of the engines. Arrangements were made for a different aircraft to get travelers to their destination. United said no injuries were reported and that a full inspection will confirm what the issue was in the engine. Elsewhere around the country, a 19-year-old Texas man is now facing charges in connection with three mercury spills that took place in Houston. Christopher Lee Melder has been charged with burglary and unlawful disposal of hazardous material. He also has an outstanding felony drug possession warrant. The spills sparked a massive response in West Houston Sunday. Authorities said a little under a pint of mercury was found in the parking lot of a Walmart, the drive-through of a Sonic drive-in, and outside a Shell gas station. As many as 60 people had to be decontamined at those locations. And now to Pennsylvania, where shocking images are making waves around the country. A video showing violent scenes in a high school boy's restroom as bystanders watched and egged on the fight in what appears to be a case of bullying. Paula Byron has the details. Cell phone video captured inside a Greater Nanico Area High School bathroom Friday, circulated on Snapchat and other social sharing sites. We've blurred the video to conceal the juveniles who appear in the footage. The boy in the red sweatshirt is punched in the face. After trying to kick back at his attacker, he is punched again, this time egged on by bystanders. Come on, hurry up. Come on, do it, do it. The second time he is hit hard, bystanders begin to scramble when they realize the boy is hurt. One recipient of the Snapchats, a recent grad of Nanico High School, who says he was disgusted by what he saw. I was one of the kids in high school too that was picked on and occasionally bullied. And I wasn't going to sit there and just let, you know, other people get tossed around kind of like the way I was. Tyler Albers says he is a casual acquaintance of the boy shown punching the boy in red. Still, he chose to share the video on Facebook and offer a listening ear to the victim. There's been a few times at Nanny Coke where I reported bullying incidents and not really much was done about it. Either they were suspended for a day or something like that. So that's why I wanted to bring so much attention to it. And I'm glad it went viral the way it did. It makes the district look bad because of the fact that, um, you know, it's, it's placed on social media. The school has an anonymous online reporting system as well as a state-mandated program called Safe to Say. The state provides students with a 24-hour hotline and a phone app where kids can report bullying. Being that we do have video footage of it now, um, there will be further disciplinary action for tho all those involved, and, and that disciplinary action I expect to be very heavy. Nanico police are also investigating the incident. Chief Robert Lehman says they have several interviews left to conduct this week. There's one side of it that's being dealt with criminally um, with the uh, police department, and then there's the other side of it which is going to be dealt with um, from an educational standpoint and from the district uh, standpoint administratively. Paola Byron, U News. Argentinian authorities say they have identified suspects in the killing of a British tourist who was shot and killed in an armed robbery attempt outside a luxury Buenos Aires hotel over the weekend. 
Police said they arrested four gang members they say took part in the shooting. According to officials, they are part of a gang known for other targeted robberies in Buenos Aires. In Colombia, trade unions, student groups and other protesters converged outside the country's Congress on Monday against rumored economic reform plans that critics argue give businesses too many tax breaks. Thousands got gathered in Bogota's Bolivar Plaza for a cacerolazo, a traditional Latin American expression of protest in which people bang pots and pans in protest. It was the latest demonstration in weeks of protests, which had drawn hundreds of thousands of marchers and put pressure on President Ivan Duque's proposed tax reform, which lowers duties on businesses. And Venezuela's pro-government constituent assembly on Monday approved a trial for four opposition lawmakers accused of committing crimes including treason and conspiracy. The lawmakers' parties have denied the charges and announced the process as another step taken by President Nicolás Maduro's government to dismantle the opposition-controlled national assembly by of course, Juan Guaidó, it's led. Guaidó says some 30 lawmakers remain detained in exile or in refuge at embassies in Caracas. And staying in Venezuela, the ongoing economic crisis continues to make daily life a challenge. But this year, the Maduro regime is celebrating a victory that's been a long time coming. The delivery of pork to the people during Christmas season. Gianni Aponte has a story. Four years after promising pork for Christmas, Nicolas Maduro's regime finally fulfilled its promise on time, handing out pork legs, a traditional Venezuelan Christmas dish. Thank you, President, for the present. We love you. This time, the Bolivarian leader's support from Vladimir Putin, Russia sold Maduro 11 million euros in pork, more than 13,000 tons of legs that will be on the Christmas table of thousands of his followers. We will guarantee our people in December have their pork legs and all that our people need. One less headache for Maduro than in previous years when he was facing protests and discontent from masses of people for his unfulfilled leg promise that he blamed on the economic blockade against his regime. It's all lies. People got tired of them. Russia has replaced Portugal that sold the legs to the socialist regime for three years until Venezuela stopped paying them 68 million euros. A Russian agricultural company took care of the shipment, which, according to the opposition, is just one of their social control mechanisms. We are deceiving our country. Giving a piece of pork to the people is not the solution. Others say that the distribution of legs was done in a clandestine manner. They were distributed by socialist committees that call their members at dawn to sell the legs at cheaper prices, and in some cases forced the beneficiaries to thank Maduro. Alfonso, Alfonso, talk to the president. Mr. President Nicolas Maduro, thank you very much. You have done a great effort for our people and even more for those in need. With exotic Christmas decorations in public buildings in Caracas and in the middle of blackouts in inland cities, Maduro distributes legs promising Christmas in peace and joy. Reported by Francisco Urristieta, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. More of U News after this short break.
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Need further proof that it's the most wonderful time of the year? After Mariah Carey Christmas show at the New York's Madison Square Garden on Sunday night, her fans were so excited that they just didn't want to end this beautiful magical moment. This video was posted by a fan show who, of course, you know, was so excited to see the rendering of this beautiful, beautiful song. Of course, they wanted to serenade their fellow commuters across the subway tracks with the rousing chorus of all I want for Christmas is you look at that and speaking of that mega Christmas hit all Mariah Carey wanted for Christmas was a number one hit and it finally happened of course Carey has had number one hits before but not for her beloved Christmas song the holiday classic was released 25 years ago can you believe it but it didn't top the hot 100 chart until this year to date, she's made about $60 million off of royalties from this wonderful song. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.